different countries that's great man it's at least we're spreading we're spreading something again oh no okay well hello my name is louis my name is fraser and, and this, this is, is is what is this uh, this be positive this episode might be a little bit delayed when you hear it not at the regular time but louis i have some great news yes what's your great news on the facebook group of the podcast that I love, um, last podcast on the left, one of the fans compiled the list of uh, associated like podcasts and whatever, and it's a long fucking list, but we're on there. We are, oh, we got a little shout out, we're, um, you know, we're finally entering the mainstream. As it were. Uh, maybe as it weren't. As it could have been. But that's good, that's nice. Yeah. Thanks, Will. Yeah, thanks man. And if you are listening, get in contact with us. We, we love to get into contact with listeners and find out that I'm not just screeching into the void. What I'd really love to do is do sort of a, a poll to maybe let the fans choose what movie we do next. Yeah. But for that, you know, we're going to need y'all listening right now to put that post on our Facebook. Yeah, let us know that you are willing to interact and willing to tell us what to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, that also, I guess, relieves some of the pressure off of us. But I think it would be exciting to uh, kind of come into contact with films that are outside of our narrow framework. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My brain is a shallow pool. Yes. Hey. (laughs) Okay, Louis, what movie are we doing today? Because I have the title as Gender Bent Othello. Oh, that's weird. You must have gotten one of the weird alternately titled versions. But the film we're doing today is Switchblade Sisters from 1975. By the infamous director Jack Hill. Yeah, Jack Hill. uh, Quentin Tarantino calls him the Howard... uh, Is it Howard Hughes or Howard Hawks? Howard Hughes. of, Of exploitation cinema. He is, I think probably most well known for foxy brown mm. i'd say and and a film a little film called coffee or kofi yeah uh, his two pam greer vehicles okay so i'm pretty excited about this one what was what were some of your first impressions well upon watching the trailer i thought that wow it has some very cringy dialogue which i love mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i gotta say it's tremendous i love it Man, what a ride. This film, I went into it expecting not much, and I left with an uncomfortable feeling in my stomach, and I think being really entertained for 90 minutes. I read some reviews before I watched it, uh, and Roger Ebert's review of it was not encouraging, no. to say the least. Roger Ebert fucking hated this. Yeah, he, he was not a big fan at all. Um, and he kind of resigns it or, uh, you know, rejects it as a, just your standard exploitation fare. But after having read some more on exploitation cinema, I, I think that's a little unfair of him. Yeah. Because there's not nearly as much gore or nudity or, like, salaciousness as in, you know, some other exploitation flicks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the 
there are maybe two nude scenes and they're both very tame, very coy in a way. Yeah. Uh, not the subject matter, but the, I mean, the nudity itself. Yeah. And, and the same thing with the violence. Like we don't see like guts spilling everywhere. Um, I mean, there's a lot of gunplay. Yeah, it's essentially cartoon violence. Yeah, it is very cartoonish. Yeah, when I watched the film, I was really pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed the performances from pretty much the whole cast. I felt it told that sort of Othello narrative in a really fresh, um, in a really fresh way. And I like how kind of fringy it is like it's it's not mainstream cinema at all yeah not in the least i mean at the time uh basically all female lead cast would not be normal yeah absolutely not and that actually i guess uh leads us into maybe a little discussion of the context around this film it's okay so it's part of the exploitation genre which which is kind of i guess the the evolution of the B film from the from the 50s and early 60s. Yeah. And I was reading some definitions of it. What it's exploiting is not necessarily the people in the film. It's kind of exploiting the audience. So they used content and ideas that would make people want to come watch this film to be shocked and to be, like, offended. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you know, that stuff was around women it was around race and sex and sexuality and gender and everything kind of taboo so in that way these films gave a lot of very interesting opportunities to you know actresses and black actors that they wouldn't have gotten in a mainstream film i mean most films of the time if there was a a female lead it was as a love interest yeah absolutely and in this film we have female protagonists yeah and you know they still do have their love lives and they are still feminine but they're also really in control of the situation they're really the driving force behind the plot and it's it it becomes about them as women um not about them as love interests of men or as objects of men yeah they're in no way are they sidelined characters in fact the men in this film get sidelined in that way. Yeah, I think that's really where the film picks up for me. But anyway, yeah, also just to talk a little bit more about the, the context of the film. So it's it's a film about a group of girl, all-girl gangsters. And um, this was kind of exploiting fears around second-wave feminism, which was kind of prevalent then. It was exploiting fears around delinquency in America. Mm-hmm. Because the 60s weren't really... Ugh, the 70s weren't a great time for America. Like, they just ended yeah. Vietnam. The post-war boom was ending. Crime was, like, really crazy high. And so they exploited that fear around lawlessness and young people taking to the streets to, you know, attack the man. And I think that makes for some really interesting subject matter. Oh, yeah. This film was also made to be uh, displayed at drive-in theaters. Mm -hmm. And this film came out maybe one or two years before drive-in theater as a phenomenon started dying out in America. 
yeah it was definitely at the at the tail end of that um part of of cinema history it's very interesting to me how jack hill as a director in the exploitation genre was in the middle of his uh, golden years pretty much during the filming of this switchblade sisters yeah and shortly after this maybe two films later his career just abruptly ended really so this was this was at the end of his career yeah but it was also i mean this he did like five films or something and five big big films in a row and this was the last the last one of them yeah this this one flopped pretty hard compared to his previous films or especially the previous one um, what was it called? Swingin', swingin' Cheerleader Summer or something like that. Um, I think it was just Swinging Cheerleaders. Swinging Cheerleaders. Yeah, you don't need which, much. Uh, just so, yeah, that title just perfectly encapsulates that kind of sexploitation yeah. type of name. Um, yeah, so I guess his career kind of went out with with the drive-ins. Yeah, it's it's very strange, but I mean, he did have double the budget here that he had in Swinging Cheerleaders, and it was straight up a failure, even though Quentin Tarantino loves this film. Yeah, this is maybe one of his favorite films. This was the first film he released under his um, Rolling Thunder label, which kind of aimed at rescuing some of the overlooked classics of cinema yeah of independent and b cinema and apparently in the um commentary of the re-release it's quentin tarantino and jack hill talking about uh doing the commentary and quentin tarantino dominates the commentary because of his pure excitement for the film <laughs> um i i tried to find a version of that with the with the commentary but i i couldn't find anything did you happen to come across it ah uh, no I'll have to look, but um, it does seem like a very entertaining watch. Yeah, it would be cool to hear that. Mm. I think, and also what, what Tarantino really appreciates about the film is the dialogue, which all the other reviewers say it's like the worst dialogue ever, and it's so cringy and cheesy. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, it is, and it's completely intentional. It's hilarious, guys. It's so funny that they're like, don't realize that someone can do something cheesy on purpose for fun yeah i mean have they not seen sharknado (laughs) clearly clearly have not (laughs) seen sharknado okay so let's do a quick uh, plot synopsis yeah let's bust through that yeah so our protagonist is lace the leader of a girl gang called the dagger debs they are attached to a male gang called the silver daggers led by dominic who is also lace's boyfriend They meet up with a girl called Maggie in their local, I don't know, restaurant, fast food joint. Maggie kicks the shit out of one of, actually out of Lace's right-hand woman, a girl called Patch, kicks the shit out of her. They all get arrested, go to jail. The warden or matron of the jail starts torturing Maggie. Lace stands up for her. A big gang fight ensues. They overcome the warden and she becomes part of the gang, sort of. Uh, sort of an initiate type. Maggie now, not not the warden. No, not the warden, uh, because she is very rapey. Yeah, no. Yeah, so Maggie then becomes a proto-gang member. She gets released early and takes a letter of laces to her boyfriend, Dominic. This letter is like a love poem and like a 
you know, a love letter. Just a normal, a normal love letter. Yeah. Dominic is encouraged by his gang members to read it out loud. He does so in a way that mocks Lace and makes Maggie slightly uncomfortable, it seems, at least from the way she reacts. Mm-hmm. Later on, Maggie is at, ha- at home and Dominic shows up and what ensues is a very uncomfortable rape scene. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that, you know, in greater detail, but yeah. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get to that with the rape scene in detail. But Maggie ends up embracing Dom at the end, yeah. which is where the controversy lays. Oof. And then from there, Lace gets released. The gang sets up a test for Maggie to get into the gang. She has to steal the medallion from a rival gang, which is where we're introduced to Krabs and his gang of of uh, social... I don't know, what are they? Like a non-profit group? Uh, a volunteer group or like a... But it seems like they also have political power in some sense. Yeah, he's meeting with a mayor and all that, but he's getting kids hooked on drugs, so he's really muscling in on Dom's drug racket. Yeah. So there's a bit of tension. She goes to steal his medallion as a as a trophy. Uh, what ends up happening is it sparks a bit of a gang war. Krabs' gang then, in what is a hilarious drive-by scene, kills uh, Dominic's younger brother, yeah. uh, rolling up in a hippie van and shooting him, and then just <laughs> leaving. It's actually very funny, very slow scene, because hippie <laughs> vans are not fast vehicles. Yeah. And then the Silver Daggers and Dagger Debs plan a revenge attack, on the crabbies or the crabs or whatever at their uh, local hangout, which is the roller derby. They get tipped off. Plan goes south. Dominic gets shot. He's dying. Lace gets kicked in the stomach. Something bad happens to her as well. Uh, We'll get into exactly what. And the gang sort of disintegrates. The female gang members kick out the male gang members maggie takes over the gang because lace is hospitalized yeah that really marks the turning point in the film for me at that point the gang kind of falls apart and lace is in the hospital and all this time patch has been kind of iagoing uh lace's othella othella i guess that would be the feminine yeah Why not? Yeah, trying to spread this rumor that Maggie and Dominic are together after the rape. Uh. So anyway, Lace is in the hospital and Maggie takes over the gang and then starts a series of like retaliatory attacks between the now renamed Jezebels and the crabs, the crab boys or whoever. The crab infestation. Yes, yes. Culminating on a huge attack that the, the Dagger Debs launch with the black Maoist feminist uh, cell yeah, uh, on the crabses and they steal all the guns and then the film culminates in a final and cathartic switchblade battle between Maggie and Lace for control of the gang in which, spoilers, Lace bites it. Yeah, Maggie stabs her right in the throat. But again, the violence there, we don't even see it. The violence, most of it you see it, but the death happens just in silhouettes. Yeah, that's just in shadows. So again, relax, guys. Yeah. So that's that's the movie, and there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. The Othello thing is, to me, it's a very big part of this film because it is essentially Othello. So Lace would be our Othello. <laughs> yeah. Dominic would be our 
uh, Desdominic, as in Desdemona. Desdemonica. Desdemonic. Desdemonic, yes, good. Uh, Because he is a bit of a cunt. Oh, absolutely. And Patch, who didn't have a name before losing her eye. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, she's also known as the One-Eyed Cobra. Apparently, they never mention it, but sure. Yeah, no, I think, uh, what is um, the Kill Bull character with the eye patch called? Oh, man, you cornered me. I can't remember. But, I mean, she is a very clear analog or homage to Patch from Switchblade Sisters. Oh, yeah, big time. An effective badass where Patch doesn't win a single fight. Yeah, it would have been cool to see her before she becomes so so bent on destroying Maggie. Uh, so she's our Iago, and, you know, the rest, the rest of the characters can go fuck themselves. Yeah, I mean, those are really the only characters that matter in Othello. Except, I guess, for the guy whose name I can never remember, who is our Maggie analog. Oh, Cassio. Cassio watches, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. So Cassio is Maggie. Yeah. What happens, Louis, to get Dominic in trouble with Lace? Oh, man. Let's talk about the rape. Okay, so Dominic is the leader of the the Silver Daggers, and he's, in an, I think, as a character, he exists as a criticism of the patriarchy. Yes. Um, he's the alpha male guy. He takes what he wants. He's, you know, he doesn't do anything for himself, and... I think after that scene that we mentioned where he's forced to read Lace's letter to him, I mean, that moment is lovely because Lace, the Lace that we've seen up to now has been hardcore, always like talking through her teeth. And that letter really shows up a a, a sensitive side to Lace and a very vulnerable side to her. Yeah. But so I think in that scene, he's so embarrassed at being, you know, in his view, emasculated by the sweet letter that he feels he kind of has to reclaim his his masculinity by going after Maggie. Yeah, as with everything else in the patriarchy, if you lose some power, take some more by force. Yeah, and preferably from, from a woman. Yeah, because how dare they have power. So he busts in on her and rapes her. I mean, she's not she's not big, and he... I did read somewhere someone referred to him as the Fonz on steroids. Yeah. So he's a big man, and he quite easily overpowers her, pushes her into a room, and then rapes her. Her mother comes out of her, of her mother's, comes out of her own room, uh, walks up to the door and is like, hey, you got a boy in there? Whatever, chase him out. And Desdemonic comes out, threatens her. She's like, oh, help me. Some dude, some dude walks out. Uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm not messing with him. He's the leader of the Silver Daggers." You know, there's that. Yeah. There's that. I'm gonna let him do whatever he wants because he's a he's the alpha male. Yeah. Turns out that the man from her mother's room is actually the building owner, and that's her mother's way of paying rent. Yeah. Is sleeping with the owner, which again, just a disgusting view of the patriarchy. Definitely. And capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. I read a, a very interesting article by um, Kevin Pimentel called The National Trauma of Patriarchal Capitalism. Oh, yeah? Ideological Critique in American Exploitation Horror Cinema. 
and that's definitely a big part of exploitation cinema or at least a lot of it is this critique of patriarchal capitalism yeah big time so i mean and then what really makes this rape scene controversial and and particularly awful is the fact that she then gives him a hug afterwards and he says or she says uh something and he says well you know you wanted it yeah you were asking for it anyway uh she literally says i hate you and then he's like come on you enjoyed it you were asking for it anyway yeah and the problem here is that her character then doesn't say no to that yeah so i was you know i was reading about this and trying to get my head around it and what i found pretty interesting and indicative uh is in that book on jack hill oh yeah the film by film book they have interviews with jack hill and his producer partner who started uh the company together and with some of the actors from the movies and so in the interviews they ask all three interviewees why why did you guys do the rape scene this way you know how do you feel about it and um both Jack and the producers say, like, oh, I can't remember anyone having a problem with it. Like, was it, you know, it was a different time, you know. And then the actress who, who played Maggie, they ask her and she's like, oh, yeah, I was I was very uncomfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it just goes to show that even even if your art is critical of certain institutions, you can you can still be a part of them. Definitely. And I mean, it's pretty much impossible to be a a white male in 1970s America and not be a part of the of patriarchal capitalism. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole point of exploitation cinema, and it's very contradictory, is is to make a lot of money for very cheap. Yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, exactly. Using, like, hot chicks to get to that end. It's pretty much critiquing itself. It's a fascinating genre. I would like to do some more... Uh, like classic exploitation stuff in the future. Yeah, yeah, we definitely should. I mean, I love, that's pretty much where everyone's love of B-films comes from. And also, I mean, um, Quentin Tarantino himself is a big fan of, of the exploitation genre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, though, I did read somewhere that the psychology of Maggie at that point would indicate that she would embrace this this terrible fucking rapist man because she comes from a broken home the only male figure in her life is the guy the building manager who has sex with her mom instead of letting her pay rent so she doesn't have a very healthy association with males at this point yeah and what happens is this world that they live in which did you know it was set this film is set in the future yeah it's an interesting world i guess it's kind of dystopic but it's it's also not entirely post-apocalyptic yeah and it's not the same as the actual 70s but it's very similar i'm not entirely sure maybe maybe you can help me with this one but in this world it seems like the authorities have almost no power and everything is being run by like small-time gangs because these are high school kids yeah yeah and it's pretty much if you're not in a gang you're not safe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Krabs, who is like running an NGO or whatever, is is also a high school kid. Although he looks like in his mid 40s. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Dominic as well has been in matric for a couple of years. Yeah. So I just want to get back to the psych- psychology is that in this world, there are no healthy male relationships, you know, to imprint on, to see, okay, cool, this is this is what it can be. Yeah. So strength is the only thing that's respected. And that's also why everyone's part of a gang, because if you're not part of a gang, you're not strong. If you're not strong, you're fucked. Yeah. In some very damaged way, she might respect Dom for taking what he wants by force, because this... This is clearly a very virile, powerful person, and this person can potentially protect me. Yeah. Even though he's an abuser. I mean, also, you know, maybe he can protect me, but also if I do anything now, maybe he kills me. Again, very dangerous guy. Because later she makes it clear that she, you know, has not forgiven him and is certainly not interested in him yeah she she bats him hard although they do seem very flirtatious that is true although that might just be the long con by maggie in order to gain power within the gang's uh, structure yeah that might be yeah i mean that's pretty much what i had to say about about the rape and i feel like a lot of reviewers they get stuck on that one aspect and there's there's a lot more to this film This episode sponsored by a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Do you feel like suffering used to be a bit more serious? Are you looking to get a bit more biblical with your suffering? Well, now you can with this brand new offer by a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. For suffering that is straight up out of the Old Testament, go to awailingandgnashingofteeth.com and enter the promo code B+. For your 20% discount off your first purchase of a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Suffer seriously. So let's move along. What do you want to talk about next? Okay, so I don't know if you picked up on this. It's a bit of a subplot of warring ideological factions. Mm -hmm. Wherein Krabs, if you look closely at his medallion that he so prizes... Right in the center, there's a tiny little swastika. Yeah. It's like an SS medal or something. Yeah, it's a bigger swastika than what I'm comfortable with. That's for sure. Well, here in China, uh, there are many swastikas, and I'm comfortable with all of them. But are they the good swastikas or the bad swastikas? They're the ones in, like, old Buddhist temples, so they're the good kind. Okay, yeah, those are fine. Opposing them, and also opposing Krabs' gang, is... The Maoist Femme Fatales. I think Femme Fatale may be the wrong designation there. Oh, it definitely is. But I, yeah, they're maybe my favorite characters in the whole film. Yeah, they are truly the the strongest female presence and strongest in terms of raw power and raw firepower. Yeah, absolutely. And also the strongest in terms of ideological clarity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Do you want me to go on about them for a little while? Because I totally can. Yeah, please do. Okay, awesome. I love the fact that they're included in this film. And I don't think it would have been as good a film without it. Because what they do is create a, a wider context in which we can realize that even though these street gangs, the the Jezebels and the 
Silver Daggers R.I.P. <laughs> Even though, you know, they're rebellious and they're standing up to authority and they're breaking all the rules and all that stuff, they're still as much a part of the system as Krabs's gang of... I don't know even what to call them, fascist... Mods. Drug-dealing... Mods? Yeah? Um, <laughs> fascist Elton John types. Yeah, if if Elton John... Not that I'm saying Elton John is a fascist. No, Elton John fashion, these guys fascist. Yes. And it's really the Maoists who, who stand in opposition to the system instead of just an opposition role within the system, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they, they for instance, aren't sexualized at all. Like, the the Jezebels are pretty, like, they're tough and they're wearing leathers and stuff, but they still have, like, Daisy Duke shorts or semi-see-through tops and stuff. Yeah. But the Maoists are dressed like they are taking military action, which they are. They're serious and they have a, a, an actual plan yeah. to take down the system where the Jezebels are really all about the singular act of revenge. Yeah, and, and the Maoists have a really good influence on the Jezebels. You know, they provide them with firepower, they provide them with tactical support and uh, manpower. Well, I mean woman power. Woman power. <laughs> they support and reinforce the, the Jezebels' choice to get rid of the men. They say... What does the what does the Maoist leader say? She says sooner or later every woman realizes that the only thing a man has under his belt is clay feet. Yeah, it's such a lovely turn of phrase. There are so many brilliant one-liners in this film, actually. Oh, absolutely, man! I just want to walk around saying "you dig" through my teeth at everyone. <laughs> you dig? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, the dialogue is so great, and I love seventies slang. Yeah. And the Maoists also, like, I think give them a, a, a larger sense of political awareness. Yeah. And then that shows, like, when they're in the big shootout with Krabs' guys at the at their offices, uh, the, the Jezebels are dressed in, like, black tactical gear, and they're really focused and, you know, on point. They've been officially organized. Yeah. And I love them. the Maoists, like... It's such a great thing because now, like, Mao is kind of a postmodern joke, I guess. But at the time, the specter of Maoism was still, like, very controversial and, like, a shocking political view. It's interesting to see how, for once, it's Mao being the opposition to the great American beast, where it's usually Russia. Yeah. And also Mao not being portrayed as, like, a butcher of men, but as a font of wisdom. Yeah. So what exactly happens? The the Maoists get the guns and stuff that they wanted, right? So they have the guns. They, for a little while, the Jezebels are training with them. And then when the day of action comes and the whole shootout happens, we mainly focus on the Jezebels and what's happening with Maggie and Lace mm. and, of course, Iago Patch. <laughs> but the Maoists are pretty much just rolling around in a homemade tank, oh. shooting the shit out of Krabs' gang. Yeah, with, like, mounted machine guns and just, yeah. you know, making a, making a real mess of stuff. And they pretty much don't take a single casualty during this whole thing. And it just goes to show how 
an organized group versus a disorganized gang is going to win every yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just realized that it's like a bunch of, of radical black women shooting white high school boys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. Basically murdering uh, an NGO. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, oh, that's so good. Um <laughs> Meeting the mouse and working with the mouse also works in really nicely with Maggie's growth as a character because she becomes much more confident. She begins really taking control. She becomes like motivated and determined, you know, which eventually sets her up for um, for taking over the gang and becoming the leader they always needed. Yeah, well, she's finally getting the validation she needs to take on the patriarchy. Yeah. Because her first tentative steps towards shrugging off uh, the burden of the male half of, you know, the silver daggers, she's very unsure of herself. But then uh, she gets that validation and that that praise from, from the Maoists. And she realizes that actually she doesn't need the silver daggers. She can run an equally, if not more potent gang without them. Yeah, although I think she does kick out the boys before they meet the Maoists out of anger, but it does give her that... But I mean, she's still kind of unsure about it. Yeah, the Maoists reassure her about it. Yeah. I love the Maoists. Okay, that's what I've got to say about them. (laughs) Yeah, they are very cool. And they do pretty much serve as a very effective uh, deus ex machina for this film. Mm-hmm. in that they provide the weapons that... I mean, if it weren't for them, there wouldn't be weapons. And I feel like they were pretty well established, even though they came came in uh, late in the film. Yeah. they You get a good sense for who they are, what they're about. They don't have many lines, but the lines they deliver are powerful, to the point. And, yeah, it's all very clear. Yeah, they have to be in the movie. They are a central part of it. With a lot of B-films, you, f- you find that that, that role of providing the tools to fight back and that sort of thing. It's, it's sort of slapped on last minute without much thought. Mm. But I feel like this was premeditated. This was always meant to be part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. What shall we discuss next? For me, the only thing left to discuss really is uh, the theme of jealousy mm-hmm. and how that applies in this gender-bent Othello narrative. Yeah, So in the original Othello by Billy Bob Shakespeare, Uh we uh get the story of Othello, who is a Moor. um, And for those who don't know, that is, that's just uh, an African person, right? A black person. Uh, Yep. Well, North African. North African. So in his society, he's risen beyond what is seen as socially acceptable for his level, for his for his personage. Yeah. This creates within him a doubt as to whether he should actually hold that title, whether he should be, uh, should have been promoted to a military commander of, his, of the level that he attained, which sets him up to be vulnerable to someone casting doubts on his abilities and on whether or not he would be a desirable match for someone, mm-hmm. which is where Iago comes in whispering lies to him about Desdemona and Cassio and Othello's doubt in himself because of because of his race and because he 
comes from a, a group within society that that is uh, looked down upon and oppressed, he starts thinking that maybe maybe it's true. Maybe Desdemona couldn't love him as much as she, she says that she does. Or maybe there has to be something wrong with her. And if there's something wrong with her, she might not be, you know, she might be adulterous as well. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where Iago gets his digs his claws into Othello's psyche and starts stoking the flames of his jealousy. And what is Iago's motivation for this? He thinks, or is he in love with Desdemona? No, he's jealous. He himself is jealous of Cassio being promoted. Oh, because he wanted the post. The... And he doesn't get promoted. So he, he decides that he's going to take down Othello for not promoting him. He's going to take down Cassio because Cassio is his rival and Desdemona is, a, is just a useful uh, weapon for him to use. Yeah. And in this film, in Switchblade Sisters, we have Lace as Othello already doubting herself because she's a woman, again, an oppressed minority. She finds that Dominic must be some kind of desirable partner and Maggie comes in gets raped by Dominic. So Dominic has this weird leering affection towards her. So at least to Lace, there is this element of what's going on. Why does he seem so interested in Maggie? And Maggie playing Dom seems to be flirting back. Yeah. And that just gives her enough of a enough of an opening for Patch to come in and start telling her, you know what? They're together. They're going to kick you out. They're working against you. And that drives Lace from a focused, determined gang leader and you know, all-around tough person into, into the sobbing wreck, the shell of the person she used to be that we see it by the end. I mean, we should also note that she's pregnant, that she's pregnant by Dominic, and that he he's just like, you know what to do, and throws a bunch of money at her. Just before that, she's like, oh, we're going to have a family, you know, we can get out of this life, we can settle down... And he rejects that. He does not, I mean, basically doesn't love her like she loves him. Man, I really like Lace and I love the performance. It just captures like both that no-nonsense toughness. Like the first time we see her, she's sharpening her switchblade. Yeah. And that mix between that and, and her very real insecurities and her very real vulnerability. And I just love the fact that she... She says everything through gritted teeth. Yeah. One of my favorite lines, and it's actually in the scene where Dom rejects her and tells her to get an abortion, is she says, If you go, it's gonna turn out bad. Yeah. And it does turn out bad because she's the one who tipped off the crabs. Yeah. To the daggers' ambush at the roller rink. Yeah, and I mean, instead of using a pillow to smother Desdemona, she uses a rival gang and betrayal to snuff out Desdominic. And I mean, lots of people lost their lives at the roller derby that evening. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, side characters, unimportant. <laughs> and it's, but it's like, Lace is like really adorable, but really scary. She's like, if. If little orphan Annie never went to an orphanage, it was just like grew up on the mean streets of New York. 
with a switchblade. Yeah. Slicey, slicey. And I think, yeah, that journey of laces from leader to wreck uh, is kind of, you know, the, the diametric opposite of Maggie's journey from, I guess, like social outsider, new girl to top dog. To a strong leader and a potential revolutionary. Yeah. That's pretty much all I have to say about this film. I mean, what a great film. In hindsight, I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of great stuff that we could talk about, but it would just be us so like saying, Hey, you remember this bit? Like where Bunny calls her boyfriend Cripple Dick. <laughs> yeah. And which is just another awesome moment of like getting getting rid of these guys who are, you know, act so tough but are actually little soft babies on the inside. Abusive babies. Abusive baby. The worst kind of baby. So Louis, if you had to rate this film out of ten people that get slaughtered at the roller rink. I'd say I'd give it uh I I'd say eight bodies. Eight bodies? Yes. That's pretty good. I really, I really like this one. Yeah, I would gun down a shocking total of seven. (laughs) That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, but I feel feel that the film is worth it, and the prison time that ensues would just give me more time to think about the film. Yeah, that's another great part where where they're dragging Maggie off to prison after killing Lace, and she just like yells at the cop through her teeth. I guess which is. I don't know, if you become leader, do you automatically get Lockjaw? Maybe it's just her embodying Lace. She sort of takes over Lace's personality in a way. They switch personalities and it ends up killing Lace. Um, But yeah, like that's what I was trying to say. Like We can tell you all these parts, but you can just go watch them yourself. Like the, uh, I think the meaning is pretty on the surface on this one. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, what do you have going on? At the moment, uh, me, I'm still preparing for Artlop coming up later. Uh, Got to play, going there. It's gonna be good. I'm technically not allowed mm-hmm. to talk about it yet, though. Oh, then a, don't. Yeah, media embargo until the 26th of June. Oh goddamn, those fucking embargoes. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Well, on my side, I've started a. a little bit of a travel blog cool on the canis radio website which is newly founded you can find that through our facebook page if you go to websites uh, so that's be positive the podcast and just look for the link to the website and you can find it uh, there you'll find uh, not only our podcast but uh, an upcoming podcast called generally kooky people uh, which I'll be producing in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. So keep an eye out for that. Very excited for that one. Uh, it should be should be pretty good. I'm also going to be releasing uh, very sporadically, just like the blog, I will be re- releasing some horror short fiction on the website. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, so do check that out. If you're squeamish, don't check that out. Don't be, don't be squeamish. Be positive. That's my new thing now, I think. Awesome, man. I look forward to reading some stuff. You can find me at, on Twitter, at Fraser Chunji. You can also find us on Facebook if you just search for Stay Scary or B Plus, the podcast. We're, we're on there. 
yeah hit us up on that facebook page um if you guys have any films that you love that you think we should see and that we should talk about uh just pop a trailer on there or just mention it uh you know we'd love to take requests so to speak yeah and we'd love to get in touch with you uh and finally just you stay scary yeah spook it to your mama you dig Oh, thanks. Ooh, thanks for having me, Louis. Enough talking. I grow impatient with your idle words. It is time to fight. prefer not to engage in violence, but I see now that it is the only language you understand. So, we will fight! Music for today's episode provided by Color. You can check him out at color.com.